1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: Now back to Damon and Rattle on 95.7 The Game. So, as you know, we got 49ers and Cowboys coming to town on Sunday, but it is a Warriors Wednesday brought to you by Friedman's Appliance, a trusted name since 1922. You can visit Friedman's today. Steve Kerr about to join us on the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink, easy to enjoy. I know that we are calling a hotel in Boston right now to get a hold of Steve, who I believe is going to be joining us in five, four, three. Three, two, one. Yes. Boom. Oh, my God. He is punctual. At all times, it's really impressive. Steve Kerr brought to you by Xfinity Supercharger, home with supersonic Wi-Fi, unbeatable Internet, only from Xfinity. Steve, we were talking about how, you know, we, we got playoff nostalgia, 49ers and, and Cowboys obviously have a ton of it. They even met last year in the postseason. And the Warriors are offering us up a little NBA nostalgia from just last year starting tomorrow night. You guys are in Boston already. Here we go with the Celtics again. I think that that's going to have your team's full attention tomorrow night and that's a good thing, right?
3: Oh yeah, it's so exciting to be back here. I mean that was uh, such a, a fun series and and uh, you know you, you land in in Boston and drive through to the streets of the hotel and with nothing but great memories and this place is always uh, um, a phenomenal atmosphere anyway you know even even without the Finals rematch. Um, Playing in Boston is one of my favorite games of the year, so it's uh, de- it's definitely extra special given that uh, it's a finals rematch.
2: Yeah, I know that there were a lot of laughs about uh, the fans in D.C. who are getting on Draymond, and he said, hey, thanks for, for waking me up and shaking the best out of me, and a lot of laughs, and, and, and your talk from... You know, I think Bob Meyer's saying we'll, we'll buy those two guys a train ticket and get them on up to Boston if we need. Here's a nice thing. And you know this, Steve, about Boston. You're not going to have to import any ire for Draymond Green in that arena.
3: There will be some new guys uh, yelling at all of us uh, tomorrow. So that's right. We don't we don't need to fly anybody in. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's been uh, it, it's been a great. Uh, atmosphere in that building forever just because of the history of the Celtics um, and the tradition and, and the, the fandom that exists in, in Boston just for, for all their teams. So uh, it, it'll be, it'll be an exciting night.
4: Well, since the fans haven't changed, is there anything about the Celtics that's changed, even just a
3: little bit? Ray, can you say that again? You were going in and out. I'm sorry. Uh,
4: um, well, I was just going to say, since the fans at the Garden don't change, is there anything about these Celtics that are different from last year, even even incrementally? Uh,
3: uh, anything about their team that's changed since yeah. last year? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think Adam Malcolm Brogdon was huge for them. Um, he, he's the perfect fit for that team. Yeah. Um, you know, combo guard, big, strong guy. So uh, excellent defensively, shoots it well. Um, so I think they're I think they're better this year than they were a year ago.
2: Steve, how much is your team going to change, if at all, from the guys you were when you started this road trip to the guys that you might have playing at the end of this road trip? Uh, any updates on Kaminga and Wiseman and even Andre Iguodala, who came back into the fold? threw down a dunk and then needed the next week off. I, I mean, uh, 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 Jamichael Green, how, how, how is your team healing?
3: Yeah. So we had a, uh, a practice in Washington DC t- this afternoon before flying to Boston and uh, JK and uh, Jamichael both uh, scrimmaged. Uh, we had a three on three with, with, you know, some of the guys who don't play as much and, and, and those two guys, um, uh, you know, just coming back from injury, so um, you know they were rusty as you, as you would expect. But it was great to see them on the floor. They looked healthy, and um, I think there's a there's a chance that um, maybe they could play um, in Cleveland. I it, I, I doubt they they would play tomorrow, but uh, I'd say there's a chance that, that those guys could play in Cleveland.
4: Are there any other accommodations for this back to back that you're making, uh, sort of rotation wise?
3: Uh, we'll see. You know, we always sort of wait and see, you know, how the how the week goes, how the games go, how everybody's feeling. And uh, so we'll have to, to figure it out as we go. Uh, you, you guys
2: have had the luxury of being able to set your own sort of timelines and goals. And it feels like this is a year where a lot of your timeline is starting to run out. Might that change the way you distribute minutes down, you know, in the second half of this season or ask Clay, if he is feeling good, hey, let's give it a shot on a back-to-back. I mean, I, I envision him playing back-to-back games at one point in the future of his career. Might that be a point we see in the next month or two?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I talked to Rick about that the other day. And, you know, given that Clay missed the game last week with uh, knee discomfort, um, you know, it, we're, we're going to be careful. Um, but we do think that there's there's going to come a time this season um where where Clay could play back to back games. It's just you know we're we're just trying to be very careful and and make sure we we keep all the guys in, in a good place for the long haul um and and uh, you know that that requires constant uh, care from the performance team and and uh, communication and we just kind of figure it out as we go.
4: Do you long for a day when you don't have to check with the medical side? On your players?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, that was those were the days. You had one trainer, and uh, guys didn't even know they were hurt because we didn't have a performance staff to tell them they were hurt. So uh, they, you know, it was it was a different era, a different time. But uh, you know, there's there's a reason that you know LeBron's in his 20th year, and you know, the, the, you got a lot of guys who are extending their careers. We we've just learned so much, and we've 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 figured out how to handle. Let me tell you, we need
2: to uh, reset this phone line for just a second because there was an an odd clicking. That's a, so the glitch wasn't on your end, right? Like I heard you loud and clear, no, and then I, something I, was going I on. I a uh, human glitch. You are a glitch, but yeah. this particular glitch had nothing to do with your existence. No, it's a phone line that we're not blaming on Steve's cell phone this time around either. This is a this is a landline in a hotel room. They're probably staying at the O'Connell Lodge, you know. Yeah, because that's what they do. Yeah, they're pro- they're probably you know to stay in Boston's a little too expensive, so they're probably in Amherst. Uh, no,
4: they're probably staying at a place where they can Worcester walk to the arena, you know, like a
2: courtyard <laughs> <laughs> courtyard by the same place the butcher boy went when he was at the finals last year. Same room, probably. You, <laughs> God only knows what went on in there. <laughs> uh, well, I believe we've got Steve back now, and uh, uh, Steve, are you with us once again?
3: i am i can hear you now yeah there was a a, just a a crazy
2: a crazy clicking that went on in your phone obviously the celtics have bugged your room and we've caught them uh speaking of sabotage on the political front um do you even like need instructions on how to get into the white house anymore
3: (laughs) you know your way around at this point (laughs) yeah that was fun uh and and it's what a what an honor to uh, to have been there several times. It's pretty cool.
2: How much security do they put everyone through before you're allowed that close to the president and the vice president of the United States?
3: Yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. I was telling some of the guys when when I played for the Bulls uh, before we won uh, the championships in, in ninety six, seven, and eight. My my younger brother worked in the uh, national security council and and so his office was actually in the white house He was an intern there and uh and this this was like early 90s and every time we came to town he would call me and he'd say hey does anybody want a white house tour and i go yeah sure and he'd say just you know grab four or five guys and you know take a cab over and i'll meet you out front at whatever six o'clock and and literally, that's that's how it would would work. Like, we'd tab over there, we'd, he'd meet us at the front gate, we'd show our ID, walk through a metal detector, and walk right into the White House. And we'd take a tour. He'd just walk us all over. And, you know, It was so different. This was, I guess, what, 30, 30 years ago now. Uh, it was so different. It was basically really easy for, you know, someone like my brother who worked there just to, but yeah, come on by. I'll I'll show you the place. So, a little different now.
2: It's harder to get in a Chase Center than it used to be to get <laughs> to, to the White House. It sounds like. Um, since you've been there so often and, and you know so many corners and where hallways lead to, are you compelled to ask to see something that maybe you wouldn't normally be allowed to see? Like, is it time to stop to start sharing top sensitive secret information with you, Steve? <laughs>
3: hey uh you know when you're in there there's just uh, there's a reference there's just you're just so uh odd to you know by by the surroundings that uh you you just there's a sense of i don't want to screw it up i I don't want to screw anything up i'm just going to behave and uh, whatever they ask me to do or tell me to do that's what i'm going to do and uh it's um it's a pretty incredible place just the uh the inspiration of all the all the history that exists there and thinking about all that has happened there uh and then to be there and and to have the president you know be so uh personable and and kind um, man what a what an experience
2: so draymond's even on his best behavior at the White House
3: even draymond
2: he didn't try to record a podcast from the war room or anything like that. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I, I tell you, we could have a runoff between you and Steph Curry, who is more wired to be the better politician. Because the two of you guys, you got the look, you got the likability. I mean, Steph, he's ready to join the MC circuit. Like, he's better at talking into a microphone at this point in his career than I am, Steve. He, he is just so comfortable as being the, the the man in the room who is speaking on behalf of the group. It's really something else. And then I saw that you, Clay, and Moses Moody. What you went into the press room and you actually had a, a a talk about gun safety. Does does that happen spontaneously or was that asked of you? Tell us a little bit about that because I know that that topic is well, near and yeah. dear to well, your the
3: heart. First, the uh, first part, uh, Steph is incredible. I mean, he's he's just he he crushes it every time he gets in front of a microphone in front of a group of people um uh, he's just made to be the face of the franchise. I mean, he's just so perfect for the job and he's so impressive the uh the, the combination of of confidence and humility uh, and and authenticity uh is what I think draws people to him. So we're so lucky to have him. It's uh, we count our blessings every day. Um as far as the second part of your question, yeah, we we, we did a uh, uh a, gun, a, a panel on gun violence and gun safety that included uh, several senior White House staffers and um, and Clay and Moses and me and, and all three of us have done work you know with gun safety gun violence prevention um, through our own you know charitable work and, and so it was really fun for us to to learn about what this administration is doing um, to try to to help curb the issue and. And then you know, talk about what we can do to to, to chip in wherever wherever we can. So it was uh, it was really interesting, and that was something that was put, put on. It was put together by uh, both the Warriors and the White House. I think so, uh, someone from the White House suggested it. Uh, it was brought to me a week ago, and I said, "Yeah, I would love to do that." And uh, it was it was fantastic.
4: What did you learn on the topic that you didn't know before? cuz you're pretty you're pretty well read on it so i can't imagine a lot surprised you
3: no well, I, le- I learned that you know the president has uh, executive authority to to issue certain executive orders as it relates to this stuff so um you know the the president can't sign an executive order to to ban you know AR15s or something like that because that's you know protected by the second amendment um but the President did recently ban um, the sale of a contraption that apparently is used by shooters to improve their aim and it's something that they attach to the gun and then you know kind of uh, put on their shoulder or their elbow or something. I had never heard of this this, this item, but apparently it's been used by you know by uh, people in mass shootings and uh, because it's not the gun itself the president actually has the authority to sign an executive order and ban the sales of that and i had no idea i had never heard of that so that was something i learned
2: we, we obviously know how gun violence is, has touched your life i did not know that clay thompson or or moses moody uh mm-hmm. you know carried a torch for this particular topic how how and why do they relate to it
3: yeah you know, Moses does a lot of work in in Little Rock his hometown um, with uh, young people and um you know pretty much every corner of our country is is touched by by gun violence um, as we know um all too well and so part of part of what uh, Moses does with the kids he works with is to to you know try to help teach them about avoiding violence and and um, you know, so he was really interested in being part of the group, and same with Clay. Clay does a lot of lot of charitable work things behind the scenes. Uh, he and Steph and I, a few years ago, went to a, a gun uh, violence prevention um, event in in Oakland that was incredibly moving, and you know, none of us have ever forgotten it. And so, these guys do a lot of things, you know, behind the scenes that people don't hear about. Um, but they're they're all really interested in, in our communities.
4: With all the things that you got to do yesterday, um, how I don't know if jarring is the right word, but I'll use it because I don't have a better one. How jarring it was to get back to the business of basketball, at least in preparation for Boston and Cleveland. I mean, that seems like a, an unusually strident uh, leap
3: you know it was uh it, it was a wonderful day yesterday i mean it's it's such a uh, a great reminder of our accomplishment but also of our opportunity that we have in in this country um to do what we love to do and and uh so i think there was just a feeling of gratitude from all of us yesterday and then you know you wake up this morning and it's just back to work and um so, I, I, the, the good thing is, we all really love what we do. So, we went to practice, and there was music blasting, and guys were getting a ton of shots up, and, you know, a lot of laughter. And uh, then we got on the plane to Boston. So, we're, um, we're right back at it.
2: Mr. Fab, E40, or Too Short, which one of those three guys is getting a 10 day contract with you?
3: I, I think it's got to be E. I mean, just because he's, you know, I mean, he, he's such a big fan, he's already got the jacket um he's, he's next to us you know every game and and by the way i've heard he had he had game back in the day i've talked to a couple people who knew him um you know when he was a teenager i i've heard he had he had a nice game
2: all right well i mean he's he's tall he's a big guy probably you know could throw a box out around it's tough yeah. to get around uh, are these guys on the team plane do they
3: get access <laughs> no no access to the team plane
2: I I look at it this way. I've seen a lot of teams roll into the White House. I've never seen any team roll in with three bona fide, totally legit rappers like you guys just did. Warriors remain the coolest team in sports, and that's all there is to it. Steve, thank you very, very much for joining us. Good luck in Boston. Good luck with Cleveland. Boy, that's no easy task. Donovan Mitchell sort of reborn in that uniform, is he not?
3: He's been amazing. Yeah, so tough back-to-back, but we're, we're excited for the challenge.
2: Good luck, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. All right.
3: Thanks. We'll see you.
2: Steve Bye. Kerr, you're on 95 7 The Game. Mr. Fab, little game maybe. Too short. Again, the problem is the, the scouting report is in the man's name. Too short to be considered a, a, a basketball entity. E40 head game. All right, I. right. You're not going to need to sell me hard on that. I believe that. Low block, I presume. Low block, and I just, like, John Sally level can't get around my behind. Big booty. Yeah, I could see that. Although, John Sally, I mean, you he had could, a that was real estate. <laughs> he had a dumpster. Uh, anyways, thanks so much to Steve Kerr for joining us from Boston. They got the Celtics tomorrow. They've got the Cavaliers on Friday, which means, Ray, you and I, Short shows on terrestrial radio, but when we're off the air, because John Dickinson's going to get you ready for both of those basketball games with Warriors Live at 3.30 tomorrow and on Friday, Ray and I are going to be over on the stream, in the stream, islands in the stream. That is what we are. Don't do that. Do you want to be Kenny or Dolly? Neither, thank you. (laughs) Uh, So, look, we got an awful lot still happening today. And really, at 5 o'clock, it's with all due respect to Justin Smith and Steve Kerr. The conversation we've been looking forward to the most this week. The one guy that you want to talk to the most this week. 49ers, Cowboys week. We got him. Michael Irvin. Here at 5 o'clock this afternoon, we're really, really looking forward to talking to him about the game that he just attended in Tampa. You probably saw him hugging Jerry Jones at the end of that game. We'll find out who did the most amount of swearing as points after touchdowns were being missed one, two, three, four times in a row. Was there a celebratory fifth point after touchdown dance either created by Michael Irvin or Jerry Jones? Again, they they were together. And will they be, look at it this way, there's no doubt, there's absolutely no doubt that Jerry Jones is going to be at Levi Stadium on Sunday. I wonder if Michael Irvin is going to be there. That's one of the many questions we will have for him about the 49ers and Cowboys matchup. And obviously, we're going to have to walk down memory lane a little bit with Michael, because who knows memory lane than a guy who played in the middle. Of memory lane. So we'll find out if he still carries uh, some animus in his heart, if you will, since the word hate was not liked by someone else earlier today in today's show. And we want to make everyone comfortable. <laughs> it's the goal of the show, right? to make every listener comfortable. How are we doing? I haven't been comfortable since I got here. Well, that's all right. That's normal. Uh, when we do come on back, though, you know, sometimes when you're giving a compliment to the new boss, you're also taking a huge shot at the Old Boss. Did you read Sam Farmer today in the LA Times by any chance, Ray? Did you see the column that he had about Anthony Lynn? It was a really nice profile of his career, how you know what didn't work out for him as head coach of the Chargers has really paid off for him now as the running game and assistant head coach of the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan. And he actually did a year, not even in purgatory, but he was with the Lions for a minute there before he is now with the, uh, the 49ers, and he's got a lot to say about how the 49ers go about running business and how I'm guessing the Chargers go about running or went about running their business and how that is a big difference in between these two franchises. So we're going to take you into that story. We'll even throw out a future bet or two before we have Michael Irvin joining us live at 5 o'clock here on 95.7 The Game. So don't you go anywhere. It's Damon and Ratto. The merch store is open. you got to check out the relevant shirt about Brock Purdy. It is fantastic. Uh, anything you might need, you can find at 957thegameshop.com. We are also brought to you by calhope.org. Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. The Road to Glendale brought to you by merri Credit Union. Working for you today, tomorrow, together. Thank you for stopping on by here to 95.7 The Game. It's Damon and Ratto. We just had Steve Kerr on. People on the YouTube chat page are saying thanks for having President Kerr on. Yeah, guy's something else, man. <laughs> Absolutely something else. He is a very good representative of the Bay Area. To have Steph Curry be pretty much perfect at it as well. I know this season isn't going the way the Warriors want it to, but they still represent the Bay Area very, very well. There is no doubt. And they did get to roll into the White House with Mr. Fabby 40 and too short, which makes them the coolest basketball team in the NBA still. It does add another answer to the reason why they didn't go during the Trump administration. I don't think uh, a lot of... I don't think a, a, a lot of... Uh, rap got bumped in a trump white house
4: no none i I would say yeah less than well i'm sure somebody played it secretly there are there are some people in washington earbuds
2: yeah very much earbuds were double earbuds yes Um, with, with a headset on top of them look i want to get into this article before we sort of spread it out into what the niners are looking like coming up this weekend Sam Farmer, who is a great writer for the L.A. Times, wrote a profile on Anthony Lynn and his happiness with the 49ers. Basically, he started the story saying, Anthony Lynn is now working for his old ball boy and coaching one of his good buddies' kids. The ball boy, obviously, is Kyle Shanahan. And the friend's son, that's running back Christian McCaffrey, whose father's Ed was a teammate of Lynn's when they were both with the New York Giants and the Denver Broncos, where Shanahan was the ball boy. Uh, Lynn was fired by the Los Angeles Chargers after the 2020 season, and he spent last year as an offensive coordinator in Detroit. Now he's coaching for San Francisco, and it's something of a homecoming for him because he was a 49ers player from 1995 to 1996. He is the running back or the running game coordinator, I believe, is his official title, along with assistant head coach. I don't think he was asked by. Sam to compare or contrast the 49ers and Chargers in any way but he went out and he did that and he basically said quote talking about the Niners this organization will do whatever it takes to win resources out the ears that was different for me compared to what I was going through in LA so it's just like man this is what it's supposed to be like I forgot how that felt end quote that's pretty pointed that's pretty pointed. Now, the resources that the 49ers have are obviously considerable, but it's funny. Their facility doesn't necessarily reflect that. And I'm not talking about Levi Stadium, I'm talking about their actual practice facility. It's a fine facility, it really is. Indiana University has a nicer practice setup. Than the 49ers do, and that's the worst college football team in America. College facilities dwarf the facilities that the 49ers cram themselves into in their old headquarters, which is now their glorified locker room and practice space. Uh, Alabama, I mean, Alabama, their weight room alone is the envy of every single NFL weight room. Like that is a like uh, facilities on another level. But for Anthony Lynn to say that this team will just do whatever it takes to win and the team that I used to be the head coach of won't, which had stellar brand new facilities, obviously, you know, SoFi Stadium, all that comes with that, their own wherever they're. I don't know where exactly the Chargers work out and have their team headquartered, but I'm guessing that's got to be at the very least new, which comes with the phrase state of the art, just sort of baked right into any athletic endeavor these days. So what's he really talking about? What's he really talking about? Because I I guarantee you that the Chargers have physically better facilities than what the Niners have. He's talking about leadership.
4: He's talking about commitment. He's talking about organized way to, to operate. And it's not a surprise that the Chargers are at least moderately shambolic the way they go through coaches as quickly as they do. Um, there are some places where facilities aren't the field in the locker room. It's you know quick access to you know, you know the best computer minds you you know you can you can get to. I mean the, the Raiders have historically been behind in that area too. So apparently though,
2: and I'll tell you this because I've driven past it when I've, I've popped on into Fortinbaugh's casa there in Henderson, and he lives right down the road from yeah. the Raiders facilities. The Raiders' facilities that they prepare for, that they prepare in to play. Obviously it's not helping them much, but they are gorgeous. Well they're unbelievable.
4: They, no, I'm not talking about whether they're gorgeous or not. I'm talking about what goes on and who gets to be in those gorgeous facilities and what they're thinking about and how much pushback there is if Anthony Lynn wants to do something. I mean Preparation and organization are not just where you do it. In fact, where you do it is almost beside the point. It's what you do and how you do it. And I think what Anthony Lynn is saying is that the Chargers are behind the curve on that part. The 49ers are probably closer to state-of-the-art in terms of the football operation. Even if the elevators may get stuck or you have to walk five extra feet to go to the bathroom... I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about sense of organization, a sense of purpose, the difference between a team that's gone to a Super Bowl, a conference final, and another playoff round in the last four years, and a team that always seems surprised when it wins, which is what the Chargers are.
2: Well, luckily, they're not surprised very often then.
4: (laughs) They're surprised often enough. I mean, for a team that, you know, has these spectacular fiasco losses they're usually in a position where that fiasco loss gets remembered because they're on the verge of making the playoffs or you know knocking on the door they're not a terrible team in terms of results but given the level of talent they've got
2: and the shambolic organization above them it's a wonder that they get there at all. Well, they never get it all on the same page. If they got the right quarterback, they don't have the right defense. If they got a hell of a defense, their offense isn't getting it done. Even if they have a good team, well, now the head coach is officially the question. They never have all angles of their triangle sharpened very, very well. Yeah. And look, we you know there's been an awful lot of criticism thrown Jed York's way over the years here. From me, on ninety five seven the game, and the old station too. Like Jed... I think more than anything else, Jed York disappointed a lot of fans who thought that he really was going to represent new and modern NFL ownership as a clear leader. And then it let's face it, the exit from Candlestick to Levi Stadium was a boondoggle that took a little while to recover from from a PR standpoint in the region. And then the termination of Jim Harbaugh is where anyone else who was still in faith with Jed at that time after the move to Levi's, the rest of the fan base basically broke faith. And no one was very impressed by Jim Tomsula or Chip Kelly getting the jobs. And those looked like bad decisions and Jed became persona non grata. What I think Anthony Lynn is also saying here is that Beyond the bad PR, Jed York is actually very good at this. You know, Damon, you might not like the stadium he built, but he built a stadium that took his team's wealth and put it in the top five in the NFL and will keep it there. He has run a an NFL team that has had no scandal. No off the field problems since Alden Smith stopped driving directly into tree trunks. To speak of, I mean they really haven't. And I'm not saying that that's a bunch of choir boys or you know the the Jed York infamous quote of you know we we want to win with class is what's really taking place here. But he is a good owner. I don't understand. I, there is no argument that you could make over the last few years that jed york isn't a good owner what would be your talking point if you wanted to prove in a court of law jed york isn't a good owner i don't know what you'd have outside of firing jim harbaugh and i don't like Levi stadium what have you got firing jim harbaugh though was a fait accompli
4: because jim harbaugh forced that firing i'm not going to hold that one against him jim harbaugh became the problem in santa in santa clara
2: we're, Could have been Trent Baalke, but, you know, let us do, we, we don't have both guys telling their sides of the story there. But, I mean, I've heard it no, a lot of different ways.
4: Okay, all I know is when you pick a fight with the owner, you're asking to get fired. You are. And if Jim Harbaugh doesn't understand that, then he's a fool. That said, Jed York only fails when he becomes involved in the f- football side. And that means hiring a new coach because he's never been a meddler. And since Kyle Shanahan has been here, Chet York makes himself next to invisible, not just publicly, but in terms of what goes on with the football side. He concentrates on the thing that he knows, which is the business side. He spends far more time with Al Guido and that part of the building than he does with Kyle Shanahan and that part of the building. To that end, that makes him at least not a bad owner. And he covers all the checks asked of him by Kyle Shanahan, which is essentially what an owner is supposed to do. If you're not inherently a football guy, your job is to hire good people and make sure they have resources. I think he's hired the right people. And as far as I know,
2: they have plenty of resources. Again, you know, the quote one more time from Anthony Lynn in the Sam Farmer L.A. Times piece. This organization, talking about the 49ers, will do whatever it takes to win. Resources out the ears. This was different for me compared to what I was going through in L.A. So it's just like, man, this is what it's supposed to be like. And I forgot how that felt. Anthony Lynn talking about his time now with the 49ers. And by the way, as a running game coordinator, doing a bang-up job, Anthony Lynn. The one thing that I did like in that hard-knock season was Anthony Lynn. I really liked Anthony Lynn. He came across great in all of his meetings and the ways that he would relate to players and the ways that he was just so honest with his running backs at the time. He basically sat down a kid on HBO, Ray, and had a meeting about, you're fat. And he didn't even joke, he didn't curb it saying, you know, you're a little overweight, you're carrying a little bit too much. He's like, straight up, you're fat. If you're going to play for me, you're not going to be fat. So you have to not get fat. And it was just... Very honest. I liked Anthony Lynn an awful lot. And he obviously is enjoying his time here with the 49ers an awful lot. When you talk about bad owners, sometimes good football teams are good enough to overcome their even bad owner. I was asked this about an hour ago on the Xfinity mobile text line. Someone from the 650 said, D, what do you think about Paul Brown doing a pregame interview implying that Joe Burrow should basically take a pay cut? Uh, you mean Mike Brown? Yeah, I, I'm guessing he's he meant Mike Brown because Paul Brown, yeah. I believe, is unavailable. Um, but I did not hear that. I don't know where that's coming from. But I read it aloud because I do know that Mike Brown is as tight-fisted an owner as you could possibly find in the NFL. And for him to be looking at Joe Burrow and thinking hometown discount is insanity is that there aren't four guys in this league who should make more money than Joe Burrow? And I think objectively, yes, but without knowing what the
4: quote is, I'm not sure that he said Joe Burrow should take a, a pay cut. Even he implied, he's not he implied, that. He implied,
2: uh, the, he implied.
4: He might have implied that, you know, for us to be able to sign everybody that we want to sign, he might have to temper his hopes at getting all of it now. That, you've heard owners say before that said Joe Burrow doesn't have to take a dime less than the max he's he's established that's a and made guy you want to talk about made guys if he's a made guy and made guys you don't nickel and dime on I mean in a hard capped sports the guys who get squeezed are the guys at the bottom end not the quarterback and the truth is, since quarterback money is going through the roof, followed by wide receiver money, Jamar Chase has to get paid. T. Higgins has to get paid. You know, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's going to get paid. Yeah, I mean, he's I, he was not a wide receiver, but he's, he's very good. You know, and they, the cap always goes up. So this is not about money to spend. It's about money to manage, and that's Mike Brown's job to manage that money. So it's I don't think it's about a Joe Burrow pay cut. I think it's maybe about, please don't ask her 50 million because if you ask her for 45, we could spend that five million dollars on one of the people you throw to maybe. It's still pie in the sky. You don't do that in public. It just it feels like people can misinterpret it easily, which I suspect is what's going on here. But I don't think it's ever a good look to start worrying about contract in January.
2: In a playoff run, as your team is well, going to about. Buffalo, yeah.
4: <laughs> I mean that, that's, you know, I I have to look and see where this story appears, but it does not. It does not sound genuinely authentic to me.
2: Yeah, I I, I hadn't heard anything. I had had my TV on this morning, um, and it was. It, I did I did not see this making the rounds on any of the shows, so I I don't know where it came from other than the text line, but it had a. It, look at it this way, we were talking about ownership, and I think that Jed York has completely recommitted himself to being a good NFL owner, and the, the, the proof is in the pudding here. And I'm not saying that he ever went out of his way to be a bad owner, but bad things happened on the route to the best version of Jed, which is, you could argue, we're in right now, right? Here's a question for you, Ray. It says, this from uh, the 831. I don't even know, 831 area code? What is that? Mars. Okay, so from Mars, they want to know on the Xfinity Mobile text line. Ray, 20 years from now, do you think Jed York is in that Robert Kraft level of owner? Now, he also says Jerry Jones. I don't think there's ever going to be another Jerry Jones. There. Well, no, there will be one. Somebody
4: is going to be running this league when Jerry Jones passes.
2: There will be an an, an alpha owner, if you will? Yeah, there always is. okay. But Jerry is, I mean, like the the days of the Lamar hunts are are over. The Mara family is oh, but kind no, of there over.
4: Will be, I mean, I could easily see Rob Walton becoming the new kingmaker just because he can throw the biggest wallet on the table. And the guy who could throw the biggest wallet on the table is usually a guy who gets what he wants, even from his fellow owners.
2: But Monterey County, by the way, is the 831 Santa Cruz. Come on, fellas. Um,
4: No, I don't think Jed
2: York can be...
4: A kingmaker. He doesn't have the money for it. He's also officially not the owner. He's only the club president.
2: His mom is the owner. Okay, but that's just... But, I mean, that's that's just the detail of paperwork. That's no, but
4: is. it's more than a detail of paperwork because it means he has to go to her...
2: To clear a lot of expenses. I don't think Denise is going to be here in 20 years, which is when this question's time frame was taking place on. So in 20 years from now, there is no doubt in anybody's mind that Jed York will have inherited the 49ers. Let's say he inherits the 49ers. And there isn't a huge family
4: fight, which I would bet there will be. But let's say he is that guy. He still doesn't have the wallet for that. Because the only thing we've learned in the last five years of ownership changes is that the price of getting in... It's a hell of a lot higher than it used to be. Uh, I mean, right now, the Yorks, as a family, are worth probably $6 billion. Rob Walton's worth 57 There's one right there. You know, Jody Allen, who, you know, runs the Seahawks has her late husband's money behind her. So that's fifty billion.
2: Now you're right. Money talks. In all rooms of power, money talks. Yeah. Uh, Robert Kraft uh, Robert Kraft is a player
4: too. He's he's
2: in the neighborhood of ten billion. But Robert Kraft wanted to be a vocal NFL owner. Jerry Jones clearly lives to be a vocal NFL owner. Yeah. What if Walton just wants to own the Denver Broncos. Like he, he doesn't really want to be a kingmaker or a power player. Jed York, you might say he doesn't have the, you know, the, the, the money from somewhere else to be financially wealthy without the 49ers. But then, 49ers, 20 years from now, are going to be worth 10 billion dollars. They're all going to be worth. $10 billion. They're all going to be worth that. So by just being in the club that long, he will have established himself as enough money to make. To, to, plus, experience matters. Yeah. In 20 years from now, Jed is, you know, an, an owner in this league, a representative as, at the ownership table in this league for almost 40 years.
4: Okay. Do you think John Mara is a mover and shaker in the NFL? He isn't anymore. Not anymore. Um, you think the McCaskies are movers and shakers? They've well, owned they've owned this team since 1920. Right,
2: but they've abdicated any responsibility of even the Bears themselves okay. much less the league.
4: But the nature of ownership has essentially changed. It's now, you know, you have to bring massive amounts of money to any table you're in, and Jed York is not going to be able to go up to David Tepper, who's worth 12 billion or probably closer to 15 now. Just say, I really think you ought to do this for the good of the league. Because David Tepper will look at him and say, bug off. Go back to the mailroom. Leave me alone. I can buy and sell you twice. Jed York's Jed York's wealth in 20 years is going to be the football team and only the football team. David Tepper has other, other pans in the fire. Jerry Jones is... A real estate magnet, in a you know, and runs that runs the 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 corporation that you know basically is in every other NFL city. People who are going to own teams now have other things. You're going to start seeing like Saudi oligarchs buying in to NFL teams because the price of getting in will become prohibitive. So Jed York is never going to be one of the rich guys in a sport in an industry where the richest guys do the most
2: talking. You're right, but I'll just counter with this. Personality matters in any room you're in. Personality matters. And if the, the room is full to the brim of an extreme level of wealth, your ultra extreme level of wealth really isn't that much more of a separator of who you are and I am as you think it is. Because at the end of the day, we're both, you know, we have enough money that we couldn't spend it all in our lifetimes. We have an an ungodly level of wealth. So now it's about how do you treat people? How do you talk people? How do you build consensus? How do you go ahead and, and, and create alliances? And I think Jed... Is very good at those things. I've been at dinner parties with Jed York. I've watched him work the room. I've watched him get up and speak at charity events. I've watched him work the floor at Media Day at a Super Bowl in New Orleans. He's got a personality, Ray. And people like Jed York. And having people like you goes a real long way for
4: any leader. But not in that room. That room is different than life. But people like Jerry Jones. No, they That's fear Jerry. They, they, no, they don't fear just fear him. They, they like fear him fear Jerry Jones. They like him too. They, they fear him because he can get things done to them or for them. Stan Kroenke is not a pleasurable guy, but he got into the club because he befriended Jerry Jones. Not the other way around. This is about power. And in that room... Power is the, 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 the real separator. Clark Hunt has got plenty of money, owns the Kansas City Chiefs, is considered maybe the nicest guy among his peers that there is in the NFL. He is not a power broker. The power brokers are the guys who can just say, I'm too rich for you to push around. And Jed York, for all his attributes, and I'm not questioning a single thing you said about that, is not gonna be able to be a power broker in that league, experience or no, because the funny thing about when the richest guy in the room is a new guy, the richest guy in the room is gonna want things to change so that it works in his advantage and experience becomes less and less important. I just think that the club of billionaires is just different. I mean, there is no more successful league in any sport in the world than the Premier League. And the most powerful owners there
2: are Saudi oligarchs who bought in in the last three years, and Russian oligarchs who just got thrown out the last time around. So take yeah. all your money and power and beat it when the world says so. So oh yeah, but that I don't see
4: too. the world. I don't see the world walking into an NFL owners meeting and going, "You have to
2: leave now." Hey, depends on what an NFL owners meeting looks like twenty years from now. I guess. How about this? When we do come on back, you want someone who knows what it's like to live, thrive. In the rivalry that is 49ers and Cowboys, we got the right interview. It's the one we've been looking forward to all week long, all day long, and hopefully you have too because he joins us next. It's Michael Irvin coming up in a matter of moments here on 95.7 The Game. Damon and Ratto brought to you by Fremont Bank. Full service banking, no compromises.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears?